Born in a rural village in the Middle East, he is now worshipped by over two billion people. But who was this man really? Is he actually God? Or has a mere human been elevated by myths and legends? This December, investigate for yourself the historical origins of Jesus. Investigating Jesus Origins. A new series at Stapleton Church. My name is John Kendall. You know, one of the, the things that I prayed about quite a bit as I went into college and um, was that I would have the discipline and the wisdom and the perseverance to be able to um, get to the point that I could get into medical school. And uh, so anyway, once I got in, um, uh, it seemed to me that the population that I was drawn to or that I would want to serve would be a lot of the patients that are underserved and uh, emergency medicine seemed to me to be that population um, that I could be of best use and I could use that um, you know what I really felt had been given to me by God to be able to do was to serve those that uh, were underserved and so that was one of the primary reasons I went into emergency medicine and so that's what I do now as I'm an emergency physician. I grew up in a household where my dad was a professor um, he was um, a scientist and, as well as a Christian home. And, you know, believe it or not, we would have discussions at dinner or at other times about, you know, how do you reconcile um, evolution versus creationism versus natural selection? I mean, those typical, you know, dinnertime conversations as you're growing up. And, and so it wasn't something that I struggled with that much because I had a sense that, um, that they could they could actually work together. The more I studied science and, and not only in medical school but uh, in undergrad, and the more I tried to figure out, well, how could this have happened by itself? Like if you believed that it just happened de novo and, and that there was nothing that was a creator, well, how do you explain the laws of physics, the laws that, that keep the order in this world? Or, or how do you explain some of the things in the human body which are so intricate and so interwoven that it almost couldn't have happened on its own. And so, in fact, the more I studied and the more I learned, I think the more it reinforced my beliefs that, that there was a creator that, that had all of this in mind uh, when, it, when it came to being. I don't know who this quote is from, and I'll paraphrase it, but... Essentially, it's uh, the study of science is, or the purpose of science is to explain God's creation. And I, I believe that, that that's really the, the linking, is that science is the study and is the description of what God created. Um, and that they don't need to be mutually exclusive. In fact, that they can be interwoven uh, and overlapping and... Um, and it's a matter of um, trying to figure out how did this all come about, and the study of science is the way that you actually do that. Well, welcome everyone. My name is Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor here. If, as we've been doing through this whole God and Science series, if you have questions for Dr. John Kendall, who's been a longtime part of our church, or Ross who was the one who gave us the video last week, the bioengineer. They are going to be both here tonight for our Q&A, so you can text in questions uh, right now and have them answered there. You can come back at 7 p.m. for that Q&A after our 6 p.m. service, or you can watch online. Um, if you missed last week's, it was great. It was a really good Q&A with Dr. Doug Groteis, uh, one of my professors from seminary. It was excellent. Um, so go back and listen to that or watch it. It's on YouTube or on our midweek podcast, which is called the 10,000 Podcast. We've been putting up the audio for these Q&As as well. And tonight at that, if you come, you can win this book, The Case for Miracles, because we were talking about miracles today by Lee Strobel. And Lee uh, Strobel actually interviewed Dr. Groteis for one of the chapters in his book. So that was kind of cool to talk with him about that as well. So you're definitely going to want to go back and listen to that Q&A. So I'm giving this away tonight. Okay, so you better come back to get that. Because today we're talking about miracles. 
Ready? You know, I didn't know if I would actually be here this morning. <laughs> uh, maybe that's uh, a small miracle in itself, but I'm glad that I'm here. If you don't know, my wife is 36 weeks pregnant with twins. Um, yeah, e- any day now, um, sometime between now and the next tw- 12 days when um, her C-section is scheduled, bottom baby's breech, so we have to do a C-section. So sometime between now and then we're going to have these babies. I didn't even know. I thought maybe I, w- I wouldn't be here today, but I'm here. And I think it's awesome because I believe these babies are miracles. I'll say it. Uh, I believe these babies are miracles. And I'm okay if you don't believe it. But let me tell you a little bit about our story, if you haven't heard. So Melissa and I tried for five years unsuccessfully um, to get pregnant. Nothing. It was not. I didn't get pregnant one single time. And after a while, we decided to work with a fertility doctor, um, someone actually here in Denver. And this doctor is actually one of the best in the entire world. And with working with him after a while, we we ended up doing uh, in vitro fertilization. And through IVF, we were given already a miracle, our daughter, McKinley. I mean, you don't have to call it a miracle. You can say a miracle of modern science. Call it what you want. So that was already amazing enough that we were able to get pregnant and have our daughter, McKinley. Uh, About a year after that, we decided to start trying again because we wanted more than one child. And uh, Melissa got pregnant and then had a miscarriage. We tried twice more with the fertility clinic and had two more miscarriages. So at the end of 2018, last year, we met with our doctor, again, this one of the best doctors in the the world, and he said, you know, based on your history and based on what's been going on, uh, I I would have to say that if you guys were to just try on your own, you would have a less than 1% chance of getting pregnant. I said, okay, we'll, we'll try for a little bit. So we tried again, and earlier this year, we had a fourth miscarriage. It seemed that he was right. Less than 1% chance we could maybe get pregnant, but it wasn't a viable pregnancy. So we were making plans then to go back to work with this doctor so that we could maybe do IVF again and have more kids when Melissa got pregnant again. Uh, And then just a few weeks later, we found out there wasn't just one baby in there, but two so that's pretty cool, right? A double miracle. I mean, so not only that, like, I, I think that's a double miracle, less than 1% chance. That's incredible. Some of you are still thinking, well, Matt, but that's still less than, you know, there still is a chance, right? So you're saying there's a chance, right? There, there, even if there's just a fraction of chance, there's still, you know, it's possible, even if it's an anomaly. Okay, I'll give you that. But here's the thing that make it even crazier. In September of this year, Melissa remembered something that she had written in her journal. And I have her journal up here. Um, I, I can share with you one passage. I got permission from her. Um, not all of it. You can't read all of it. But in February, on February 1st of 2012, and I actually have blown up here uh, what I'm reading to you right now. She wrote, in my dreams, the best dreams, she wears bows on her feet and he wears ties around his little neck, and a hat crooked and so sweet. They are twins and friends. Interesting, right? She had this dream or vision or whatever you want to call it of these twins back in 2012, and not just twins, but a boy and a girl that would be ours. Um, explain that one to me. Um, so, so once again, an odd coincidence, a strange, bizarre thing, you know, positive thinking that just happened to come true. I, seems to me a miracle and a double miracle <laughs> that we have these twins that are now 36 weeks <laughs> pretty soon to come in to this world. Um, and I look at that and I say, well, I think that's a miracle. But I'm okay if you don't think that. I really am. But what we are going to talk about are miracles because... I think that we do need to believe that there are miracles. You don't have to believe in my miracle. That's okay. You can say it's just bizarre coincidence and just that remote infinitesimal chance. Well, those things combined, and and even if it's the rarest, the rarer, that kind of stuff can happen, right? Maybe. Maybe. But I want to challenge you to have an open mind this morning. So in this series so far in God and Science, we've been looking at all these different realities of God and faith. Does science disprove God or or do we not need a God because science has advanced so far? And what I really want to challenge you today is to believe in a God of miracles, the God of miracles. In this series, I, I think we should all be challenged to believe in God. 
If you want to go back, you can listen at stapletonchurch.com. We have audio and video from every message in the series. You can catch up in just a few hours. But we, we looked in, in the first week that actually faith and science are not contradictory. They're not enemies. They're not at war. They are actually mutually reinforcing that science points us to God and God points us to science. And through that, we looked in week two that when you study the scientific evidence, when you really look at it and you take it to the logical conclusion of it, it points to God. First, we looked at the fact that the universe began to exist. There was a big bang. That's what astronomy tells us. Now, it might not seem like a big deal, but we know from everything that we know that anything that begins to exist has a cause. And if the universe began to exist, therefore, the universe has a cause. So logically, this is called the cosmological argument. We, we said, hey, it points actually to the reality of a cause, an uncaused first cause, a God, a being outside of the universe that could put it all in motion. And then we looked in that same week at what's called the fine-tuning argument, that with the unique laws of gravity and physics in our world, that it's so um, impossibly small of a chance that any of this could happen except by a fine-tuning God who finally tuned all the different laws of physics and made it not only for a universe that could exist, but a planet that could support intelligent life. It's so infinitesimally small of a percentage. Somebody had to have been tuning the knobs, right? So that was week two. And then in week three, we moved past that because some people say, like, scientifically, it has an evolution given us a reason to see how life could emerge and even intelligent life. Hasn't that proved that? We don't need God anymore. Well, what we did in week three was we saw that there are four major holes with evolutionary theory. Yes, there is adaptation going on, the birth of new species that continues to happen, but there's four enormous holes in evolutionary theory that where did life come from at all? It can't explain that. How is there even a higher consciousness of human beings? How are we so unique? It can't explain that. And we saw that evolutionary theory actually cannot supplant God that God is still needed to explain things. He's actually the best explanation for what we see with life on our planet. And then we moved last week, Sawyer Trap kind of took it from a philosophical angle because science can't explain another thing about our universe, and that is morality. How can we have this internal sense of right and wrong? We all do. We all do. Where does that come from? Science can't explain it, or it can't explain it very well, as Sawyer, I think, uh, argued pretty definitively last week. And especially just off the top of your head, you think of the Nazi regime. We say definitively evil, right? Six million Jews, they're killed. that's awful, that's evil, that's terrible. It's bad. Well, we all know it's bad because of something inside of us. And they are actually the ones who have taken Darwin's theory of evolution to the fullest. If you logically carry it out, they were the only society on this planet who has ever actually believed Darwin's theory and taken it. They said survival of the fittest. We're the fittest. We can survive and the rest can die. And we say that it's evil because we know in our hearts that it is wrong. And that's exactly what the Bible tells us, that God, from the beginning, wrote on each one of our hearts to know that there is a right and there is a wrong. Once again, pointing to the God of the Bible. So I think all those arguments, and especially when you look at them all together, it's what's called the cumulative case argument. That there's all these things coming at once. I think of like a, an old action movie, a kung fu movie, like you can fight off one defender, maybe two or three, but all these guys coming at once, no way. You're done. Okay, that's what happens with all these arguments and logical things and science all pointing us to God. There has to be a God. But if you've been thinking hard, and I hope that you all have, if you've been thinking hard, you might say, well, Matt, I'm convinced that there's a God, there's a creator, there's a designer. There's even a moral lawgiver. I, I, I'll grant you that, Matt, but I'm going to stop there. A lot of very intelligent people do stop right there. They say God created things, he started things, and then he kind of just left things to be. That God doesn't interact in our world today. That there are no such things as miracles. Theologically, that's called deism. Ever heard that term before? Deism. Theism isn't the belief in God. Deism is the belief that there is a God who created things and set things in motion and let them go. Almost like the clockmaker. Okay? My parents had a big grandfather clock. They still do in their house. And you wind it up, you wind it up, and then you just let it go, and the clock goes, right? That's what people say God does. He kind of wound up the whole world and just let it go. He created all these natural laws and people, and we can just do what we do, but God doesn't interact. Or, or some people kind of mock this view and they say it's almost like an absentee landlord. 
built the house, made it look really good, our universe, and then just kind of leaves. He's not there to take care of it anymore. So if your heater goes out, don't call him. You've got to take care of it yourself. So this idea of deism, I think, would be the logical conclusion if you just looked at those first four messages in our series. But I don't think it's enough to stop there. And if you are there today, maybe even in this series you have moved from agnosticism or unbelief or unsureness, and now you're saying, I do think there's a creator out there, but that's as far as I'm going to go. Well, I'm going to challenge you today because that's not enough. God is the God of miracles. Our God continues to interact on our world within history, within time and space, and he does things that cannot be explained by science. So I'm going to challenge every single one of you today to believe in the God of miracles. To believe in the God of miracles. And to start out then, we are going to look at one of the miracle stories from the Gospel of Mark. So if you have a a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter 9. It's going to be up here on the screen, as well as we look at Mark chapter 9. And and this miracle story we read, and, and if you don't know, Mark is probably the earliest account of Jesus' life. And here is one of these miracle stories. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 17. We read, A man in the crowd answered. So there's this crowd of people they're arguing. The disciples are there. We'll get to them in just a little bit. And a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, speaking to Jesus, I brought you my son, who was possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. To which Jesus replies in verse 19, You unbelieving generation, he replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Hmm. Okay, so what we can see right here in this story is this man who's desperate. His child has had this illness, as we'll find out in a little bit, a lifelong illness. And it says here that there's a spirit there. Jesus actually affirms that, so it does seem like there's a spiritual dimension to it, but there's also the physical dimension, the seizures, the foaming at the mouth, um, whatever's going on there. And and people are like, is it a spiritual thing, a medical thing? I don't know. Um, But that's what it is. There's a problem, right? Maybe it's a combination of the two. And he's asking for a miracle, and it's not happening. And Jesus says, you unbelieving generation. So why am I starting right there? Well, because people have always struggled to believe in miracles. Now, the modern thought today that we think, because we're so advanced, so enlightened today, that, that we've kind of figured out with science that people who used to believe in miracles were just superstitious Um, ignoramuses. They were fools. They thought things they couldn't explain were miracles, or they were magic, or or whatever. That there was a God under every rock and tree and bush. But now that we are advanced and enlightened, we have moved past that. So not only is that chronological snobbery, which we've talked about, chronological snobbery, as C.S. Lewis talks about it, um, but it also um, ignores the actual evidence from history. People didn't believe in miracles. And the reason is, is because they were unheard of. Okay, you look even in the Bible. I think it's fascinating. You look in the Bible, and Joseph wants to leave Mary. Why? Because she was a virgin who got pregnant. Okay, Why did he want to leave her? If he believed in the virgin birth, and that just happened all the time, he would have been like, oh, this is great. You know, it's a virgin birth. No, no, no. Okay, when you look at the Bible, these people don't believe this stuff because they're just like us. We are not modern and advanced and enlightened more than everybody else. Everybody knows they wouldn't call it a miracle if it just happened all the time. They would call it a Tuesday. Right? But they record these things because they're so out of the ordinary. They're so out of the ordinary. Now, it is popular today that we look back and they they, they don't know anything. I, I think of the book that I read when I was a kid, A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. Maybe you know the story written by Mark Twain. 
about an enlightened, uh, at the time, I think it was an 18th century or 19th century um, Connecticut man who was scientifically learned and knowledgeable, and he gets sent back in time into the 8th century, I think it was, with, with King Arthur, the court, and Merlin, and there's all magic. But he's very scientifically knowledgeable. He knows astronomy, so he predicts accurately when a lunar eclipse is going to occur. I know that the sun will go dark and never be seen. Oh, it's magic. And then another time he, he makes gunpowder and he puts it around Merlin's tower in order to best this magician. And he puts a lightning rod on top of the tower and then in the middle of a thunderstorm he says, I will call down fire from heaven. Strikes the lightning, blows up. Whoa, what a great magician. I think that's what we in our modern sensible mind, we look back in the past and say they had no idea what they were talking about. Because really all that stuff can be explained a better way. We know science now. There's always an alternative explanation. Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist, once said, events that we commonly call miracles are not supernatural, but are part of a spectrum of more or less improbable natural events. A miracle, in other words, if it occurs at all, is a tremendous stroke of luck. Tremendous stroke. That's the definition. There's no such thing as miracles. They're just odd happenstances. But I think not only is this chronological snobbery, I think it's illogical to think that. Okay, so let's, let's talk about this guy named David Hume for a second. We're going to talk philosophy for just a minute, so pay attention. I know this is difficult for some of you. Pay attention. We're going to talk about David Hume, a famous philosopher, because when I've had discussions with people about the reality of miracles, especially unbelievers or skeptics, agnostics, um, they'll say, well, didn't David Hume prove that miracles can't happen? As if, boom, that happened in the 18th century and all of a sudden, oh my gosh, nobody believes in that foolish stuff anymore. And this is often the argument that's presented. He was, of course, a Scottish philosopher. And I just want to show you his argument. I boiled it down. You can read it. It's a lot longer than this. But this first line is actually a quote from him and the rest are paraphrases. But the first line is that a miracle is a violation of the laws of nature. That's his definition of a miracle says, as the second point, would be the laws of nature cannot be violated. Therefore, miracles cannot happen. This is a logical argument. He proved it, right? Definitively. You talk with an atheist today, they'll say, yeah, David Hume disproved miracles a long time ago. We don't even need to think about them anymore, right? Well, we should think about them a little more, okay? Because if you think about this line of argument, it's actually a classical, def- or classical example of circular reasoning which is a logical fallacy. Think about it. A miracle is a violation of the laws of nature. Okay, the laws of nature cannot be violated. Well, why can't the laws of nature be violated? Because miracles don't happen. Why don't miracles happen? Well, because they're violations of the laws of nature, and laws of nature are never violated. Well, why can't the laws of nature be violated? Well, because miracles don't happen. It's circular reasoning. It's textbook logical fallacy. Also, I think his first line, his first premise, is actually flawed in itself. Think about it. A miracle is a violation of the laws of nature. Well, why? I do not believe that miracles are a violation of the laws of nature. They're not. They're not. Okay, think about it. If I drop this book, which law of nature is is going to take effect? This Bible. Gravity. Okay, right? You could anticipate that, expect that it's going to happen, right? Well, that's a good-looking couple right there. You guys supported Kinton and Aaron Chan, our new missionaries that we're going to be sending out? Come get coffee with them. Support them. You know that. The law of gravity says that if you drop something, it's going to fall at 9.8 meters per second, whatever. Is that right? Anybody? You can talk about that later. I was not good in physics. But you know the law of gravity brings things down, right, to the earth? Brings things down. Okay, now if I drop this and I catch it, have I violated the laws of gravity? No, there's just something else interacting in it, right? It is not a violation. It is just something else stepping in to interact. That's actually what is happening when we talk about miracles. God is moving within the laws of nature. He is not violating them. They still exist. They never went away. He's just something acting that's invisible that we can't see, something we don't understand. Okay, and another example. If, if aliens were watching our planet and they were looking at the intersection of Martin Luther King Boulevard and Central Park, 
they could watch and observe. They're trying to understand and study with science, right? Figure out what's going on. Well, they see that there's this pattern going on. When the, the light turns green, cars go. When the light turns red, they stop. Uh, and then they l- l- study a little bit closer. Oh, you can turn on a red light. You can turn right on a red light. Or at this intersection, you can turn on a left on a red light, too. You remember that from, okay, because there's two one ways, right? So you learn these, learn these laws, and they see it over and over again. All this stuff happening, this pattern of these lights changing. But then all of a sudden, something happens. There's a big red truck that drives by with flashing lights. And the whole pattern gets thrown off. And everybody stops, and this red truck goes through. Do they think this is a violation of the laws of traffic? No, it's just something else operating that they didn't understand before. So that's what's happening with miracles. Just because we don't understand what's going on there, that doesn't mean the laws of nature have actually been violated. Just something else is operating within those laws that we don't understand yet. And that's what a miracle is. And I think it's for this reason why people today actually look at David Hume's argument and say that it has failed. In fact, there's an American philosopher who a few years ago wrote a book. He's at the University of Pittsburgh, I believe. He wrote a book, and this is the title, Hume's Abject Failure. The argument against miracles. Don't you love that? An abject failure. That's the that's title of a book on Hume's argument against miracles. He failed miserably because it doesn't logically follow. Instead, what we should be looking at is saying, is there good evidence that points us to a miracle? If we're scientific people, we could hold the standard pretty high, but what we should be asking is, where is the evidence? Where is the proof? So, there's one other point I want to talk about before we talk about that proof and evidence. Second thing, a lot of people will kind of lobby this at Christians and they say, you can't actually do real science, especially at Christian scientists. You can't actually be a scientist if you believe in miracles. Because in order to study and and observe and and catalog the, the natural laws, you can't say, oh, it might be a miracle. So in order to do real science, you can't believe miracles. Now, I do think it's good to explore every single naturalistic explanation for things. But what about when you come to the end of that and there is no naturalistic explanation? Or you look at things and they say, actually, it seems like a better explanation would be some divine being acting in it. Okay? It would be logically closed-minded to not allow that possibility. It would not be science because science is the pursuit of knowledge, of truth. If there's even a shred of possibility, you should explore it. And if you don't, you're like the drunk on the side of the road who's looking for your keys, your lost keys, underneath the streetlight. When you come and try to help him, you say, well, why aren't you looking over here where it's dark? He says, no, no, no. I can only look where it's light because that's all I can see. Well, why don't you look where it's dark? It could be over there. No, 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 it can't be. It has to be where I can see. It's illogical, right? It could be where it's dark just because you can't see it or observe it in the same way. We've got to look for the best explanation, and perhaps a miracle is it. So if you say, I need some proof, I need some evidence, one of the things that I've heard a lot of people say is, well, Matt, since we live in a day with so much um, journalism that we have, cameras, that we have um, you know, photographs of everything, we have medical documentation from everything. Shouldn't there be a lot more miracles today? Shouldn't we hear about it a lot more? Well, actually, there are. Craig Keener is a brilliant uh, scholar. He wrote this two-volume book called Miracles. I'm not giving this away. This is mine. It's dense, but this two-volume uh, of Miracles not only talks about the miracles of the New Testament... But he also went and documented a lot of miracles that happen today. He went and interviewed people. He got medical records, looked at uh, news stories. And there are thousands of different miracles that he has recorded in these books. Check them out. I challenge you to do it. He has 350 different reports just of blind people gaining their vision back. It's, it's pretty incredible, all things. In fact, he wrote an article this year in Christianity Today, and he said there are more documented cases of miracles than ever before today. Hmm. Maybe just the news doesn't cover it. And sometimes it does. If you've been following, sometimes you'll pick up these stories. Doctors can't explain why this tumor disappeared. Speaking of a 10-year-old girl last year in Texas. This tumor, it was inoperable. It was going to kill her. And we have no reason why to understand. The, t- the tumor's gone. It doesn't show up in the MRI anymore. We can't explain it. We call it an anomaly. <laughs> call it an anomaly today, but call it what you want. 
sometimes, as Craig Keener points out, one of the most fascinating things is that in all these stories, almost every single one, the healing or the miracle happened after someone prayed in the name of Jesus. Hmm. Fascinating. I just want to tell you one story from the book, and it's a story about Barbara. I have tons of stories. I had to cut so many stories out of this message because you guys want to go home for lunch, I think. And uh, some of them are, are recorded in this book, The Case for Miracles. That's why I'm recommending it. It's a little bit easier to read than the thousands of pages from Craig Keener. Okay? Um, but one of the stories is a woman named Barbara. And it, this was, I believe, in 1981. Um, and Barbara was diagnosed with MS, um, which is multiple sclerosis, a degenerative condition. And in her case, according to the doctors who were interviewed by Craig Keener, as was Barbara, he interviewed two of the different doctors who treated her, that her case was one of the worst they'd ever seen. As a teenager, she had been a gymnast, but slowly lost the control um, physically to be able to hold on to the bars and the rings. And she got diagnosed with MS. And the, the, it just got worse and worse over 16 years. Um, she lost some ability to use her muscles. Her muscles eventually became like gnarled and knotted up on themselves, unable to be used. She lost her vision. Um, she lost the ability to walk. Um, and even her diaphragm stopped working so that one of her lungs completely collapsed and the other one was working at 50%. So in order to just get enough oxygen, she had to be on a ventilator full time. And um, after 16 years of this, she finally went to the Mayo Clinic just as like a last resort to get some hope, and they said, there's nothing we can do. And they gave her six months to live. When there's nothing left to do, what do you do? You pray. So she and her family all started to pray. And one day, one of her friends told her story to Moody Radio. And Moody Bible College in Chicago has a radio program with lots of listeners. They sent it out and asked everybody to pray for Barbara by name. And people actually from around the world started praying for her. They even sent her letters. And one day, while she's laying in her hospital bed, waiting to die, can't move, can't see, her friends were reading these 450 letters that had come in. And while they were reading, she says she heard a voice behind her. And she heard this voice tell her to get up and walk. So she motioned as much as she could to her aunt and two friends who were there with her. And they came over and, and she whispered to them that she said, bring my family in here. So they all came in and she leapt out of the bed and started walking and dancing. And they saw her muscles and would just moments before they had been gnarled and knotted were fully formed again. She was able to walk and continue to be able to walk. She had a whole interview with Lee Strobel. Uh, I'm sorry, with Craig Keener. And the doctors, two doctors who had diagnosed said, we have no explanation for this at all. That night she went to her church in Chicago and when she walked in, people started cheering. And in unison, they started singing Amazing Grace. A miracle? That's just one of the hundreds of thousands of stories that he records. Medically documented miracles. Oh, but there's some other explanation, right? There's got to be something else. If you're saying that, if you're like, well, there's some other explanation for that, that's fine. That's fine. But what would it take to convince you? Really think about that. What would it take to convince you? Because... If you're honest with yourself, you may be saying nothing. There are people who literally, if they saw someone rise from the dead or be healed completely in front of them, would still not believe. They would doubt their own eyes. And if that's you, I want to challenge you to doubt your doubts. Be skeptical of your skepticism. Maybe it's time to open up your mind and say, maybe it could happen. Maybe I can't explain everything scientifically or medically. Maybe there is a God of miracles. And here's the thing. Some people say, well, I have to see it myself. Do you really have to? There would be literally no thing called history if you had to see everything for yourself. You have to believe some people at some times, or else we wouldn't even have a constitution today or a country. But you believe somebody. So believe some things that you cannot see at the testimony of good witnesses. Be skeptical of some things, of course. You don't have to believe every miracle. You don't even have to believe my miracle. But I think we should all be open to miracles, to believing in the God of miracles.
So let's, let's talk a little bit more. Let's look at this story a little bit further from Mark chapter 9. In Mark chapter 9, um, we pick the story up again in verse 21. So Jesus asked this boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, if you can do anything, Jesus, take pity on us and help us. This is a prayer. I don't know if you knew that. If you can do anything, Jesus, help me. This is a prayer for help. It's his last gasp effort. God, help us. Jesus, help us. Give us a miracle. Give us a miracle. Um, I think what's, what's fascinating about here, this is what Jesus says in response in verse 23. Because in verse 23, he says, If you can, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. If you can, everything is possible, Jesus says. This man is doubting. He said, if, if there's even a chance, if there's a remote possibility, Jesus says, everything is possible for me. Everything is possible. What's, I don't know if you knew this, but Jesus worked a lot of miracles. If Mark is one of the earliest accounts of Jesus, and there are three others just in our Bible, plus all the other letters of the New Testament, plus there are outside sources other than the Bible, who talk about Jesus and call him a miracle worker or a magician because they can't explain him. Uh, Marcus Borg, who is not a Bible-believing Christian but a, uh, a scholar and historian, he says, despite the difficulty which miracles pose for the modern mind, on historical grounds it is virtually indisputable that Jesus was a healer and exorcist. Fancy word for casting out demons. It, we have to believe... if. If you're saying that this is even remotely true, the history points that Jesus worked these miracles. He claimed to work these miracles. He even said literally everything is possible. This is our Jesus. There are over three dozen miracles attributed to Jesus in the Gospels. See, if you believe in Jesus, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you must believe that there is a God of miracles who continues to work in history. Here's the amazing thing. When Jesus says, if you believe, I love that, if you believe, did you know there are a lot of scientifically minded people who believe in miracles today? Uh, I saw one report that said that um, 38% of U.S. adults today claim to have direct experience of a miracle. Did you know that? But it's not just stupid Americans. It's our doctors, too. One report said that 75%, in, in one survey, 75% of physicians say they are convinced that miraculous things happen. Three quarters. Sixty percent of them say they pray personally for their patients. Hmm. These are the people on the front lines who know a little more than even we do. Fifty-five percent of them say they have experienced something that cannot be explained medically or scientifically. What we call a miracle. Fifty-five percent. There are people who believe today. There are stories, uh, and I could go on and on and on, but let me just tell you one more. Craig Keener interviewed um, some people. He had the medical records from a doctor named Chauncey Crandall. And Dr. Crandall in, uh, in, um, Crandall in Florida was seeing a patient. He was, he's a neuro um, doctor. He specializes in some of like, the worst cases. Um, I'm sorry, not neuro, but uh, cardiac. He's a cardiac doctor, specializes in heart stuff. So when a man came into the ER and he went into cardiac arrest and they s tried to bring him back to life to resuscitate him, they ended up you know, paddling him seven different times, over 40 minutes giving him chest compressions and CPR, and he was flatlined. 40 minutes. And that's when they invited Dr. Crandall to come in and take a look at him, see if there's anything that he could do as the cardiac expert. So he comes in, and, and the man's um, fingertips are black, his toes are black, his face is starting to black because he has been without oxygen for so long. And they declare him dead right there at 10.05 p.m. And then as he's writing up the final report, the nurse is removing the IV, starting to sponge the body and get him ready for the morgue. Uh, Dr. Crandall walks, starts to walk out of the room and he hears or, or feels that God is leading him to turn around and pray for this patient. 
So he turns around and starts praying for this patient to come back to life. And he looks at the ER doctor on, that, that's there in the room and he says, could you try one more time to paddle him back? And the doctor thinks he's crazy, but he says, okay, you know, out of deference, he's going to try one more time. And they try one more time, and he is immediately resuscitated, and his heart rate is at 75 beats per minute. He walks out of there alive. And that happened just in 2008. Incredible. Incredible medical stories with doctors saying, I've seen this, they write up the medical reports. It doesn't explain, it can't be explained by anything else. Some of you are still saying, but Matt, it's so hard to believe. I haven't seen it. I haven't experienced it. I don't know. I have doubts. Well, guess what? It's okay. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to not be sure. In fact, I love this story, and I picked this story because of the man's response to Jesus. Jesus, who is known as the healer, the miracle worker, and he says, everything is possible for me. Do you know what this man says in response to Jesus? Let's look at this. I love this. He says, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I believe, but I doubt. I believe, but I'm unsure. Do you know what Jesus doesn't say to this man? He doesn't say, sorry, no miracle for you and your boy. You need more faith. He's already called this guy an unbeliever. He said, an unbelieving generation. How long can I put up with all of you? But what did Jesus does next? He heals this boy. He casts out the spirit and he is instantly and immediately healed from a lifelong illness. Jesus says, I see your doubts. I hear your doubts. You're confessing your doubts and it's okay. Because it's not about how much faith we have. It's about who we have faith in. Do you know that? It's not about how much faith we have, but it's who we have faith in. We do this with doctors too. I don't know if this doctor can perform the surgery. I don't know if he can pull it off. But I'm, 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 uh, you might have any faith in your doctor, but you're still going to go in there and you're going to go under knife. And if the doctor's good enough, you're going to be okay. So if we do that with human beings, how much more so should we do with God? It's not about how much we believe, it's who we believe in. And that's why I want to challenge you to believe in the God of miracles. Believe in the God of miracles. It's time to take that step and say, maybe. I have my doubts still. I'm not sure about your story, Matt. I'm not sure about Dr. Crandall's story. I'm not sure. I'm going to have to need to investigate that for myself. That's fine. Barbara's story, I don't know. I had a doctor after the first service say, I have no idea how to explain that one naturalistically. Yeah. <laughs> you may say, I, I don't know, but... I have a little bit of faith and it's time to take that little step of faith and say, I believe, help me in my unbelief, Jesus. Okay, it's time to take that step of faith today I challenge you. Now I think some of us are struggling still even after I say this because we haven't gotten the miracle we're praying for. Anybody? Has anybody prayed for a miracle and not seen it happen? Yes, I have. We all have even... (laughs) These guys, Lee Strobel, Craig Keener, they've prayed and they haven't seen the miracles, even though they write books defending the reality of miracles. Here's the first thing I want to say. that We don't have to understand everything. And if a miracle is a miracle, it's not normal. It's not Tuesday. It's so rare that we can't explain it. It's something that we don't understand. Miracles are rare. They don't happen all the time. We all in our sinful, broken bodies will we break down and die at some point. We won't have the miraculous healing at some point. And, and it is so challenging then sometimes because that is what actually leads people into unbelief. Why didn't I get my miracle? But if God created the entire universe, knit us together, created all the, the physics, laws of physics, and put it all together and designed everything and has a plan for even us today, don't you think he has a plan for your story? Don't you think he can kind of figure out how to weave it back together and figure out even in evil and awful and terrible things that he can bring good out of it? He can. And that's, I really want you to listen to Dr. Grotai's Q&A from last week because his, book, his chapter in this book was on when I don't get the miracle. And he talked about his own story about his wife dying. 
It's hard. It's challenging. It's those things that rock us to our core. But yet God knows what's going on. And if he's the God who created everything, I can trust him with this. If I can trust him with this, I can believe that even though I didn't get my miracle, he is still a God who can do miracles. I can trust him. I can trust him with my story. So I want to challenge you all to take a step of faith today. Maybe it's coming back to faith because you didn't get your miracle. It's time to take that step of faith to believe in Jesus. He wants you to take that baby step. Even if you're saying, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Take that baby step. And he wants you to grow in your faith, to more boldly ask him for things and ask him for even miracles to happen. Because our God is a God of miracles. You know, you don't have to believe my story. You don't have to believe Barbara's. You don't have to read Dr. Crandall's. You don't have to believe any of these stories that Dr. Keener put together. You know, you don't have to be convinced of any of those things. But there is one miracle that we as followers of Jesus have to believe in. In fact, Christianity is unique is because it is based on one historical miracle. In fact, Paul would say this in 1 Corinthians fifteen seven. He said, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Our entire faith rises and falls on one miracle story, that Jesus was raised from the dead. And this is amazing. Our faith, our entire belief system sticks its neck out, unlike any other religion in the world. This one miracle, if it didn't happen, then the whole thing, we should just go home, stop wasting all our time, stop praying Stop reading our Bible. It's it's just a waste of time. But if this is true, if Jesus, this man who who claimed to work miracles, is seen to have worked miracles, predicted his death and predicted his resurrection three days after that and then pulled it off, well, we should probably believe him and everything he said. That's exactly what happened. You can go back and listen to my Easter message from this year when we talk about it in detail, even some of the medical evidence for it. Because there were lots of people who saw Jesus put to death. He was killed. Lots of witnesses saw his body, touched his body. He was buried in the tomb. And then three days later, completely unexpected by everyone, he raised from the dead. And the 11 followers who were left, because Judas hung himself, 11 followers who had followed Jesus and had run away scared because their Savior was dead, came to faith in this risen, resurrected Jesus that was the powerful God of the universe. And then they went and gave their entire lives, willingly dying to proclaim the name of Jesus all over the world. And there were 500 eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrected body. There's a lot, a lot of evidence for it. And if that one miracle happened, that's the one we need to believe in. And from that, we can believe the rest of Jesus' miracles. And if Jesus said all these things and he believed the rest of the Bible, maybe we should read the, believe the rest of the miracles in this book too because Jesus said it. Now you don't have to believe in my miracle. You could say it's just random chance. But this is the miracle, the resurrection that you have to believe in to be a follower of Jesus. So I want to challenge everyone to take that step of faith today to say maybe, just maybe, miracles can happen. Just maybe there is a God of miracles who is still alive and active in our world today. He has not just left us like the, 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 watch, the clockmaker. He is not just the absentee landlord. He is still actively involved in history. And he has risen Jesus from the dead. And if he did that, your thing is a small thing for God. So as the band comes up right now, I want to challenge you guys two ways. If you're here and you're an agnostic or, or you're not sure, or you're like, I kind of am a believer, I'm a deist, but I'm not sure about these miracle things. But you're saying, I think maybe they could be true. If you're ready to take a step of faith today to put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to respond in a prayer to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, the same Jesus who rose from the dead, so that that God can be on your side and you can call out to him, I believe, help me in my unbelief. I want you to take that step of faith and I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a minute. But there's a second thing, because I know that there are people here today who are longing for a miracle. That are crying out to God maybe every single day for a miracle. If you're here, I want to give you the opportunity to pray for that miracle. We have some uh, on the prayer team. Gerardo's right over here. Could you wave your hand? You want to move on up. In this last song, um, Jasmine's over here. I'm going to be in the back. Grant will be in the back. Just find one of us. We want to pray with you and pray for you for that miracle to happen. I'm praying for a miracle right now. Um, one of our good friends from college, 
Um, their son, who is 21 months, has been dealing with brain cancer for a few months. And just a couple weeks ago, the doctor said, we have no idea what type of cancer it is. It's so aggressive that there's nothing more we can do. They sent him home. We've been praying for a miracle the whole time, but now we're really praying for a miracle. We're, we're fasting together um, for this little boy named Xander. So I'm going to be praying for Xander, but if you have a miracle that you're praying for, let's pray together. Let's boldly ask the God of miracles to step into human history again, to interact with that world, our world, and bring about something that cannot be explained any other way but God. Let's pray. Lord God, sometimes it's hard to believe in miracles. We have doubts, we have questions, we wonder how does all this work out. We're skeptical, Lord God, but I pray that you would help us with open minds to step into faith. For the people here right now who are struggling with doubts, struggling with why their miracle didn't happen or why it isn't yet happened, Lord God, I pray that you would give them faith. That you light a fire in their heart that they would say, I I do believe. Help us all to grow in faith this morning and believe in this God, the one God, the true God of miracles. The God who rose Jesus from the dead. And if he did that, he can do our thing too. And Lord God, I pray right now with everybody's eyes closed. If you're here today and, and, and you say, I do want to take that step of faith in Jesus Christ. I want him to be my Lord and Savior. I'm ready to make that declaration of faith. Would you say this prayer after me? And if you've already said it, would you join with those who are going to say it for the first time? Would you please repeat after me? Lord God, sometimes I struggle to believe. But today, I believe. Would you forgive me my sins and help me to follow you? Jesus, would you be the Lord of my life and help me all my days? Amen. Now with your eyes closed, everybody's eyes closed, heads bowed. If you said that prayer for the first time and you, for the first time, have made your declaration of faith in Jesus, would you please just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. I just want to pray for you. Lord God, I pray for all the people that are here this morning that are watching online, Lord. I I pray that you would just help us in faith move forward with you, Lord. For those taking that first step today, would you just infuse their heart with new faith, with, with strong perseverance, that they might walk in your ways all the days of their life, Lord. And help us grow every single day to more and more growing faith in you. And we pray that you would be the God of miracles for us today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.